0: The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown Peace and blessings. What's going on out there, world? Hopefully, everyone is having a great day. Welcome to the Right Authority Podcast. My name is Carlos Carr Sr. I also go by the KCOG. Why am I here? I am building an an intelligent agenda to move African and, and indigenous people living in the United States of America to empower themselves and their community. Our goal is to dismantle white supremacy. Until one understands white supremacy, what it is, and how it works, anything and everything else that you understand will only confuse you. A quote by Neely Fuller Jr., What's happening in Kansas City right now? I'm recording this on a Wednesday, February 2nd. Shout out to my boy Jimmy, happy birthday. Um today is a whole different day, bro. It it is cloudy, but we got so anywhere between 4 and 5 inches on the ground, and the current te- temperature is 17 degrees. It's cold. Got a nice little follow up on um, Michael Corns. I wanna get to right away since we're into the local portion of the radio. And uh, always the source is, this is coming from a local TV station, uh, 41 KSHB, Kansas City. That would be channel 41 for those who are in the uh, viewing area. The Supreme Court denies motion to to immediately release Keith Corns from prison. Um, they issued the order on Friday. That's this past Friday uh, as this article came out on... Ooh, 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 ooh. Where's your date? Well, I'm not seeing the date here. Uh, Here we go. January 28th, 2022. So it came down um, that Friday. Uh, However, the state Supreme Court did grant a motion to expedite the proceedings in the case. The latest development uh, follows attorneys uh, from both sides filing motions. of course, Corn's uh, legal team. And then the uh, butthole for Attorney General, who is now running for uh, the Senate and is a Republican, Eric Smith. Uh, he seems to challenge everything uh, that the far right wingers believe. So just a little update on him. The motion comes after Judge William Hinkle. Uh, a special master appointed in the case filed a 111-page report that narrowly focused on the factual findings of the case. The judge pointed out that a report from a confidential informant was not disclosed by KCPD, local police department, to either trial counsel or or the prosecutor's office prior to the trial. Now, Corns has been serving a life prison without parole for a 2003 murder of Larry White. Uh, of course, Karnes have has insisted along the way that he is innocent. And so hopefully we will have, uh, looks like the court, Supreme Court ordered Uh, Any exceptions to the special master's report must be filed on or before February 4th. And if there is a revised report, uh, the order says it must be filed on or before February 11th. Uh, Briefings and arguments in this matter, if any, shall proceed to further order of this court. So hopefully when the brother gets back into court, they can go ahead and get this thing resolved, especially if they do not have uh, the confident, or they do have the confident informant and do believe somebody along the way recanted. And this informant, I believe, actually saw the crime from a distance, but he was using some binoculars, according to reports. So hopefully Brother Carnes can uh, beat this thing and get free. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into tonight's topics. Tonight's topic. Um, tonight, we're going to get into the NFL's dirty little secret. Now, I started doing a video on it and was not used to the um, program that I was using and found out that the sound was out on it. So, I'm doing this regular podcast to cover the first half of that video. The second half of the video, uh, the sound is fine, and I'm actually showing you all the things that I was seeing in the game. So I want to make sure you understand that. Now, the other thing I want to get out of the way is everybody who knows me knows I am a Chiefs fan and of course this program originates in Kansas City. So with that said, if you also know me, I will also tell you when this team stinks because I've been watching this team for that long. So uh, when I see something that's out of sequence or out of order or somewhat different, uh, I have to point those things out. Now, but before I get into that, and if you happen to have seen that horrible video I created with no sound in half of it, uh, you heard me say that my hat is off to the bingles. Joe Burrow is the real deal. I am not taking anything away from the bingles whatsoever. And I want people to understand that, okay? The bingles is a very good football team. They are a very good football team. Okay, what I'm saying is there's some things that don't quite add up in that game, and we'll come back to all that later. With that said, I want to go ahead and get into my topic, the NFL's dirty little secret. Uh, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to. Um, do a little investigation and the investigation that we're gonna do, all I want you guys to do is go to Google and type in the title of my program. The NFL's dirty little secret. And you'll see some things up, pop up. Okay, this is from the um, the one that I'm looking at currently is from the San Francisco Reader. Um, let me get the whole information in front of me so I can give it to you. Uh, the author of this this uh, piece is Don uh, Balder. Uh, published July 4 2012. Okay always like for you guys to have the source so you can go to where the source is and read the stuff for yourself again the san francisco or the san diego san diego reader okay now as we uh take a peep at this thing uh i want you to go all the way down To uh, where it says the National Football League's actions belied its supposed contempt for gambling. Now, again, it says the National Football League's actions. Belie its supposed attempt for gambling. For example, the league requires teams to state before games what players may have to sit out because of injury and what players are questionable. That information only benefits gamblers. Okay? And does the league complain that the newspaper run the point spread of the games? Well, you know the answer to that. Just about every major city that has a major newspaper, if you're reading through the sports, you will see the spread. And these days, you will see the over-under as well. So with that in mind, here's a little... Dirty Secrets of the NFL. The long-running but secret alliance of pro football and gambling has been chronicled throughout, thoroughly, I should say, in the book Interference, How Organized Crime Influences Professional Football by Don E. Moldia. It's published by Morrow. In the early 1920s, one George Hallis turned to Charles Bidwill, uh, who was a bootlegger, a gambler, racetrack owner, and associate of Chicago's Al Capone to finance the Chicago Bears, okay? So that's how the Bears got financed. George Hallis going to Charles Bidwell, who, of course, is working with Al Capone, who puts up the money to finance the Bears. Bidwell brought the Chicago Cardinals. And do keep in mind, the Bidwell family still owns the Cardinals. Now, in 1925, a bookie named Tim Mara bought the New York Giants. His heirs still have half the team and the notorious gambler Art Rooney took over the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Rooney family still controls the team. The Rooney empire is purportedly broken up so that the racetrack And casinos won't mix with his football team. Yeah. Yeah, I got some land in Florida uh, for you to buy if you believe that one. In sports first half century, one team after another was owned by high rollers, often with sordid connections. The Cleveland Browns were owned by Crime Syndicate bookie Arthur Mickey McBride, head of the Continental Racing Wire, the Mob's Gambling News Service. The USA Senate once called that service Public Enemy. Number one. In 1961, the team was sold to Art Modell, who among many things was a partner in a horse racing stable with one Morris Mushy Wexler, who the Senate again named as one of the leading hoodlums in the McBride wire service. In 1969, Modell got married in Las Vegas, and you got to understand what 1969 Las Vegas was like. It was mob control back then, okay? Married uh, in Las Vegas Diggs, of William Billy Weinberger, president of Caesar's Palace, whose hidden owners include such dignitaries as Tony Bictuna Accardo, Sam Momo Giacani, and Jimmy or Vincent Jimmy Blue Eyes Allo. When Weinsberger died in 1996, the Las Vegas son called him the Dean of Casino Gambling. Now do keep in mind that, to back that up, Art Modell, who was already into gambling, casinos, and horse racing, then turned around and marries uh, William Billy Weinberger, daughter, who was president of Caesar's Palace, Caesar's Palace, okay, whose hidden ownership included the mob. Now, we ain't done yet. Stay with me. In 1969, happening spotlights um, the National Football League blatant uh, hypocrisy when New York Jets quarterback Joe Namath, invested in a Manhattan bar. The league told him to sell his shares of the bar because it had ties to big-time gamblers and unsavory individuals. But the league did not caution Modell to break his ties with the bar or any of the other team owners. The league. Pearl Rosenblum, a high roller with a major interest in mob up uh, bohemian casinos, owned the Baltimore Coats and the Los Angeles Rams at different times. Now, his second wife and widow entertainer, entertainer George Fontenier, who had been married five times before latching on to Rosenblum now, inherited control of the Rams and moved the team to St. Louis when she got a uh, stadium 96% funded by the taxpayers. Now remember that story, because you got to remember the NFL went into St. Louis and pretty much snatched the Rams out of there with a very similar deal, but not as close. But let's keep going here. And then did uh, y'all forget San Francisco and Eddie Departolo Jr.? Did y'all forget he got caught paying off the Louisiana governor $400,000 to get a riverboat casino license in Louisiana? The governor got busted and went to jail. Di got a wrist slap, but he had to lead the 49ers. But of course, his family is still in control of the 49ers. They're still the majority owners. And then here we go. San Diego has been in the middle of the NFL gambling love affair. And don't forget, San Diego is the other team that the NFL kind of uh, swooned or kind of talked in to coming to L.A., um, about the same times that they snatched the Rams out of St. Louis. But San Diego has been in a in the middle of an NFL gambling love affair. The late Pete Rozelle of Rancho Santa Fe residents and one-time head of the NFL definitely tiptoed around the team's owner's mob gambling ties. Modia shows in his book that Roselle stepped on players suspected of consorting with gamblers, but never told them not to associate with their mobbed-up team owners. The Chargers were founded by longtime gambling, gambler, I should say, Baron Hilton, who had both a business and a personal relationship with Los Angeles attorney Sidney Korshak, who was described by law enforcement officials as the link between the legitimate business world and organized crime. A late owner was Eugene Klein another Korshack friend with mob and gambling associations, and then the late Al Davis, a former Charger coach who wound up uh, owning the Oakland Raiders, was a business associate of a San Diego casino owner by the name of Alan Glick. Davis survivors still, of course, have control of the Raiders. And several players got in on the Glick deal back when it dropped. Now, that's the NFL's dirty little secret. Now, let's see, how many teams did we cover here? Uh, These are mostly the early teams that really brought the NFL into its current format. Uh, So let's look here. We got the Bears. We got the Cardinals. Uh, We got the Cardinals twice, but this one was the Chicago Cardinals before they moved to St. Louis, where the Bitwell family took over or actually financed that. Uh, You have the Pittsburgh Steelers. You have the New York Giants. How many am I up to? Am I up to four? Am I up to four, y'all? Y'all stay with me. We got Chicago Bears. We got the Chicago Cardinals, which turned into the Arizona Cardinals. We got the Giants of New York. We got the Steelers of Pittsburgh. That is four. We have the Browns of Cleveland. We have, that's five. Uh, we have the league president, Marion, the daughter of a big-time uh, casino, uh, Caesar Palace, in in uh, in uh, Las Vegas, and of course the mob also are some of those clients or owners of that. Uh, but we're still up to five. Then we have Rosenblum, uh, so that's six for Baltimore seven with the rams and san francisco is eight san diego is nine and oakland is 10. okay so 10 of your current 32 teams owners were involved in gambling and either in racetracks, casinos, bookies, associated with the mob, being financed by the mob. This is your NFL. Now, let me jump over here and give you some more information about your NFL while you're looking at it. And for this, all you gotta do is go in and Google uh, NFL And pick it up in Wikipedia and then go down in Wikipedia to the corporate structure. Very important. Because you will see there that the NFL consider itself a trade association made up and financed by 32 member teams. Okay. Up until 2015, the league was an unincorporated nonprofit 501c6. Internal Revenue Code provides an exemption from federal income tax for business leagues. Chambers of Commerce, real estate boards, boards of trade, or professional football leagues. Okay? Not organized for profit and no part of the net earnings of which it incurs to the benefit of many private shareholders, or individuals. In contrast, each individual team accepts the Green Bay Packers, because if y'all didn't know it, the Packers was developed as a nonprofit all the way from from the jump. It's subject to tax because they make a profit. Now, listen to this. The NFL gave up their tax-exempt status in 2015. Okay. yay! We think that's a great thing. Well, they did it following public criticism. And then in a letter to the club owners, commissioner Robert Goodell labeled it a distraction, saying the effects of the tax exempt status of the league office have been mischaracterized repeatedly in recent years. Every dollar of income generated through television right fees, licenses agreements, sponsorship, ticket sales, and other means is earned by the 32 clubs and is taxable there. This will remain the case even when the league office and management council, keep in mind, this is a letter Goodell is sending to the league owners. And management council file returns as taxable entities and the change in filing status will make no material difference to our business. As a result, the league office might owe around mm, ten million dollars in income tax, but it is no longer required to th- to disclose salary of its uh, executive officers. So how can you track it? Okay. I bet you a lot of people didn't know the the. NFL league was set up as a nonprofit. See, what Goodell told you was this. Look, we're a professional organization here. We're a trade association, okay? We fall under the guideline that the NFL league, its officers, its commissions, and its president do not have to disclose their salaries and if there is income tax due it is due by those individuals not the NFL league itself. That's pretty much what uh, Goodell told the owners okay. Now here check this out real quick and we'll move this along. The league has three different defined officers the commissioner, the secretary, and the treasurer. Each conference has a defined officer, the president, which is essentially an honorary position with few powers and mostly ceremonial duties, like awarding the conference trophy. All right? Now, before we go there, I want y'all to... um, Look up one more thing for me. I mean, guys, I don't make this stuff up. This stuff is out there, you know. Uh, Yahoo Sports. This is an article written by Sam Cooper on Monday, January 31st, 2022 at 1042 a.m. Uh, the NFL bat- betting recap. Okay. This is the day after the game, that morning after the game. Bengals covered in seven straight games, including five outright upsets. One more time. The Bengals covered in seven straight games, including five outright upsets. That's Vegas heaven right there. Now, let me show you why. If you go down into that article after you read about all the good stuff and and everything, you'll get to a paragraph about maybe five, six paragraphs down that says, Despite that recent success of Cincinnati's, most bettors at Bet MGM were on the Chiefs. Okay, 60% of the bets were on the Chiefs. 61% of the money was on the spread. The spread was 7.5 They give you an example One Bet MGM customer who had $111,000 on the Chiefs at 7.5 uh, on the spread at a 100% odds Then they go on to say that was a brutal loss for that better. And everybody else of that 61% that put money down on the Chiefs, they all lost. That means 39% won. Right? That means 39% won, right? But when you lose... You paid a house. So Vegas won big on the Chiefs not covering the spread. 61% of the money was on the spread. Okay. Now, let me show you the flip side of the corner if you may, if I may. The betting splits were more lopsided for the totals, which closed at 54.5, according to BetMGM. Now, what they're talking about on the total, that's the total score. We call it the over-under. That's what they're talking about, the over-under. 75% of the bets and 80% of the money were on the over the over 75% of the bets and 80% of the money was on the over they did not cover the spread in fact the Chiefs lost and if you lose you can't cover the spread the Bengals scored an upset won the game which means those 20% well nobody won on the spread that's all Vegas okay nobody won on the spread that's all Vegas Vegas won on the spread that's why they won big they also won big on the fact that the Chiefs did not excuse me I'm saying this wrong Vegas won on the over and under because they didn't hit the over and under. There was a total of 51 points in the game. The the They set the split as 54.5, which means if you was over that, then you won. But if you were under that, Vegas run won. Okay? Vegas won. So you look at that and see that on the over and under, Vegas whoops some butts. And except for those local, those few who bet under, they came out, but they were only 20% of the money. 80% of that money went to the house. Okay? And then you go back and you look at the 61% of the money that was on the spread for the Chiefs to be a 7.5 victor, and they lose... Well, again 39% bet probably bet on Cincinnati they won all right but all of that 61% Vegas claimed that they won so when you combine that with the over and under Vegas cleaned up now carlos you took us through all of that to prove what Well, guys, I have some concerns. I have some concerns, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. I am not coming from a point where I am a sore loser and the Chiefs lost. I want to get this clear. Again, my hat is off to the Bengals and the game plan that they had coming in the AFC championship game. They had a great game plan. They executed well. They played great defense. Uh, I thought the defenses were pretty even except for the stupid interception that uh, Mahomes threw. But let's talk about the game now. And I'm going to try to keep this as short as possible, but I want to make a couple of points. And the only way I can do this guys is you're gonna I'm gonna tell you where to look and I need you to go see for yourself and tell me what you see okay and please if you if you hear this and you don't believe me and you go check it out and you do see something just go to www.therightauthority.com you can leave me a message you can sign up for an email send me an email hit me up and let me know Now, so that everybody's on the same page, what I used was the NFL's AFC Championship highlight game to take a look at these plays, okay? Now, very first thing you have to question, with five seconds left in the first half, Andy Reid, Why did you throw a bubble screen to Tyreek Hill with five seconds left when you could have had a sure three points by taking the field goal? That didn't make sense to me. Okay. Then let's go to the fourth quarter. And in the fourth quarter, I want you to go to the one minute and 23 second mark. In the fourth quarter. And you'll see the Chiefs have the ball with a second and goal. Now, the most puzzling thing to me is when I saw this play, I couldn't figure out what was going on here. And... Allow me to explain. With second and goal, if you got to go and look at it. And again, this is in the fourth quarter with one minute, 23 seconds left in the game. Second and goal, the Chiefs inside the 10. The ball is snapped. Mahomes goes back. As Mahomes goes back, you can immediately see his head turn and look to uh, Nicole Hartman as he releases off the line and heads toward the end zone. But at the time that if you freeze it, you will see Hartman is wide open. Wide open. And Mahomes, that was his first read, which meant that was the where the ball was supposed to go. And if you look closely, you will see the defender is maybe a yard and a half, two, two yards behind Hartman, which meant if Mahomes drove the pass toward the pylon, which is in front of Hartman, Hartman's 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 body will automatically box out the receiver and give him a chance to catch that pass. Mahomes do not make the throw. Then he does something that's very uncharacteristic. After he does not make the throw, he rolls to his left, not to his right. He rolls to his left in an attempt to, I guess, make more yards, and he sacked. Now, the next one I want y'all to look at is the very next play at third and goal. And I believe now there's 36 seconds left on the clock. Hold on. Now, I have that in front of me, and I'm going to do a better job of describing that. On the, at, in the fourth quarter at 1 minute 23 seconds left in the game, it is uh, 1 minute 23, 1 minute 24. It's second and goal. The ball is snapped. You see Mahomes go back. If you freeze it at the snap, you'll see Mahomes looking directly to the left and you can see Hartman releasing from the line of scrimmage, and you can also see the DB has is about a yard to two yards behind him trying to catch up. Again, if Patrick Mahomes released the ball toward the pylon, automatically Hartman would box out the defender, and he's the only one that can get to that ball. Instead, Mahomes does not throw it. Mahomes still has it. He circles around For a great and, and takes a he chest. chest. He's in trouble, and he's tripped up back at the 8-yard line. Hubbard. And we're done. Now, this is the one that really has my head scratching. Now, we're down to about 36 seconds in the, um, in the game, and again, it's third and goal at the snap and by the way on that last play uh, where he didn't throw the Hartman he had a good pocket for the throw it was after he decided not to throw that the heat came through the offensive line so want to point that out and this play is the same thing uh, Mahomes has a good pocket of protection he stays in the pocket he takes his read and the read he wanted wasn't available. But then you see number one, um, I can't call his name, but you guys know who number one is on the team, slip out of the backfield, he's and he stops. And he stands there and he's looking at Mahomes, the closest defender to him. It's easily four yards away. And the sad thing is, Mahomes doesn't even look at that running back. He's there. He's open. But he doesn't look there. And then... This is the stupid sack. Can't do that. The He's running all 21. over the field, and then when he sees JCB come Speed in, he doesn't throw the ball, ball away, and the they fumble. Now, this fumble was recovered by the Chiefs, but what I'm saying, is these are very strange plays by Mahomes. Now, you got to remember, in the first half of this game, Mahomes and the Chiefs' offense was rolling. And here's the thing you saw on each of the touchdowns, on each of the three touchdowns you saw in the first half, you saw Mahomes roll to his right and throw for the touchdown on all three touchdowns. In the fourth quarter, oh, remind y'all, in the first half, the running game was banging. In the third quarter, I think I counted. The Chiefs only ran the ball twice. Maybe a little more, but it wasn't much more. Now, the very last thing I'm going to point out, and again, I want you guys to go check these things for yourself. And I am not saying anything again. What I am doing is I am leading you with some crumbs to your own conclusion. Okay? Next one I want y'all to do, this is in overtime at the 4.51 mark in overtime. Now, on this play, this is the um, interception that um, Mahomes threw. The second interception, not the one that was batted down. But this is the second interception that uh, was thrown to Tyreek Hill. Now keep in mind it's third and 10. And as Mahomes take the snap, I want you to freeze your frame. A chance of the- if you freeze your, fa- your frame at the point Mahomes takes the snap, you'll see at the top of your screen and i can't identify his number uh because it's pretty blurry even with the screen stop there's a receiver at the top of the screen that's on the line of scrimmage but it is a receiver about eight yards from that receiver is the db mahomes at this point is looking straight downfield, but i think he's looking for kelsey because Kelsey runs a route right over the middle of the field. So I think Kelsey was his first read. So when you play that on through, stop. Right before he winds up and throw the ball, you see three things here that we have to understand, have to scratch our head about and says, why didn't Mahomes see this? That receiver I told you that was streaking at the top, he is now wide open and starting his break to to for Mahomes to let, you know to see that he's open. At this point, the DB is still at least four y- yards behind the receiver. The other thing you can see, you can see where Tyreek Hill is beginning his break at the. Um, um, first down marker, Tyreek Hills beginning his break, and about four yards behind him, you can see Kelsey starting to go into his break in the middle of the field. At the very bottom of the field, you will see a tight end that is now releasing off of the line of scrimmage, but he, his defender is still six yards off of him. Mahomes at this point is has the ball, He's looking downfield and he's reading. Again, I'll give Mahomes this. His first read was probably uh, uh, Kelsey as he's breaking in the middle of the field. But he never looks to the to the right toward the sidelines to that receiver who is breaking to the sideline and is totally open. Peter with a touchdown. Now. At this point, Mahomes is, is winding up to throw the pass. Now, everybody except the offensive line is still uh, on the line of scrimmage, okay? And Mahomes has a nice pocket. He has a real nice pocket. So no one's on Mahomes at this point, all right? Very nice pocket. He's going back to wind. And if, as you can see, as he throws that ball down, Phil stops. As he throws the ball toward Tyreek, you can see the receiver on the sideline is completely open. All he has to do is throw the ball toward the sideline in front of that receiver. And again, the receiver's body automatically boxes out the defender and nobody can get to that ball but the receiver. But if you look lower at the bottom of the frame where it's frozen, You'll see Kelsey standing there in the middle of the field, and now his defender has run past him because they see the ball going to Tyreek. Okay? Now the defender on the right hand on the right sideline is completely open. Here we go. Now they go deep down the field. Now here's the beautiful thing. I didn't actually, this doesn't clearly show the uh, catch and deflection from on this catch to Tyreek Hill. But when you watch the highlights uh, on TV, they get a better shot. And that ball hit Tyreek in the hands. And that ball just, after it hit his hands and dropped down, it must have hit his pads. And then that's what made it popped up uh, for the interception. But uh, with that, those are... Outside not taking that field goal with five seconds left at the end of the half. These three plays stink. I I don't know what Patrick Mahomes was thinking on these three plays. Now again, I'm not telling y'all anything other than the NFL has a history of gambling, the league was formed with a history of gambling. Vegas made a killing on this game. Neither te- teams covered the over-under, and of course the Chiefs didn't cover the spread where 61% of the money was on. Vegas made a killing. All right? Now, here's the last piece, and I'm going to leave this thing alone, y'all. I told y'all to remember both San Diego and the uh, Rams. And as you heard me in my presentation, I proved to y'all that both of those teams uh, were associated with gambling and mobsters, okay? Both of those teams are now in Los Angeles. Both of those teams were promised a big shiny new stadium that they didn't have to foot the whole build for. Now you have one of those teams in the Super Bowl. Now, think about it this way after Vegas cleaned up the way they cleaned up on the AFC championship game and if you remember the headlines from Google or from uh, Yahoo Uh, let me get that headline back remember this headline the NFL betting recap bingos cover in 7th straight game including five outright upsets. For you betters if the Rams is the favorite for this game and if the Over-under is more than 48 points. Y'all being set up. That's all I'm going to say. Think about it. After what Cincinnati has done for seven straight games, think about it. Five upsets. Over the last seven games, think about it. For all you naysayers. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things. And see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. I just showed you another way to look at it. With that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this thing up. Because as I told y'all in the beginning, this whole thing was only about one thing. Uh-huh.